0: Back in and Bell together.
1: There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now, this will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. have ever been. And Cooper puts it in with. Well, suddenly it's big a right. So of course, when things are going wrong against you, you don't get the breaks of the ball. Cooper in with Stewart. Hello and welcome to the Here We Go podcast a Busy show this week, as it's a busy week for the club With the Thursday-Sunday schedule in full effect That's a situation we're all hoping can continue for some time to come Blethering with myself and Martin this week are, making this podcast debut, Hugh Little Evening Hugh, how are you doing?
2: Hi Richard, I'm very well, thank you
1: Hugh is obviously a lifelong Dons fan uh, But one that spent 12 years as the director of the club as well Uh, We'll be speaking to him a little bit about that role um, later on in the show. And if we're nice to him, we've been assured that he might just drop in the odd bit of juicy gossip too. So we're looking forward to that here. Then it's great to welcome back Cameron Hobbs. Now we borrow Cameron occasionally from his main podcasting love, NFL Scotland. Goes without saying that if you've an interest in the NFL, you should be tuning into that. Cameron, how are you doing?
3: I'm doing very well. Always a pleasure to come on here. And it's nice to not talk about the NFL and talk about the dandies for a change.
1: Well, let's do that. And first up, let's take you back to a rainy night in Gothenburg. No, not that one. This trip to the west of Sweden didn't end in us taking back a shiny piece of silverware, but we did get the job we came to do done. Hugh, overall, it was a performance that looked, well, it looked a bit rushed, a bit hurried, looked like a side start in the season. It's probably everything we feared the first leg was going to be.
2: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think we all hoped that... uh... It wouldn't be a nervous evening. And and I think for a while, like everyone else, when it was 2-0 and um, they were on top, it just had a slightly uncomfortable feel that a third goal would make things yeah, pretty challenging. But um, I, I, think, I think there is there is something about this lot. I think the Scott Brown influence is, is clear, I think, even after two three games, for people to see that there's a level of, of leadership there that probably hasn't been there for a while. Um, and he, I think he probably knows how to, how to get teams through situations like that And, and, uh, and probably talk to everyone through it So um sending off clearly helped, But um, at the end there was, there was not as much panic as we, as we once feared
1: Yeah, it just had that, that point Cameron After they got the second goal A little bit like Laika when they scored their second at Pataudry In the time which we got through against Laika Just that moment that almost just turned in an instant with the red card That was, that was actually really important to how the game went
3: Oh, absolutely, and I, you know I'll, I'll, I'd be lying if I didn't say I was a little bit nervous because you you look at the clock and obviously with sixty eight minutes on uh, on the well, in the game gone there's still plenty of time for hacking to to find another couple of goals uh, and at that point I think that the, some of the steam had come out of the way that we played I thought first half we certainly grew into the game and ended the first half really really strong. But genuinely, I I think, and this is true of Glass so far, I think he articulates himself really well in post-match interviews. And he talked about the fact that you'll not often come up against a team that's really got nothing to give but gung-ho. You know, they've got nothing to lose as soon as the match kicks off. And I think that was the factor between the two sides. I thought he did a really good job of articulating that. Hacken were able to push forward. That red card then killed any steam that they had in their sales, pretty much. And it was a topsy turvy game from the here on end, let's be honest. Um, The the referee was the most active out of everybody, uh, and we'll take it. You know, that probably did us a favour, meant that we could see it the rest of the game, and then the the scoreline ultimately looks quite comfortable.
1: Yeah, I mean, Hacken were very much in the front foot, Martin. Um, One thing that would have made the the evening a lot more comfortable was taking one of the chances that came our way now. The the obvious one, you can discuss, the Finzo Ojo one. But Some good chances even in the first half, which really just would have settled things down completely, um, including Ramirez not quite being quick enough uh, to a Emmanuel Thomas through ball.
4: Once he gets a full head of steam and he gets a, gets himself kind of fully kind of going with the rest of the team, that's something he should be putting away. He should be lifting that over the keeper. Um, and I think that you know, with a bit more with a bit more game time with the squad, you no, know, um, maybe a little bit more confidence, he's probably going to do that. Um, and if Things had you know we t- we talk about it so much so much on here and you know it's 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 become a kind of cliche but you know it is a football cliche that you know you really especially in European games you need to take those type of chances uh, you know you take that and you know the games the game's done um, and but instead you know you, you give up a couple, you give up a couple of good chances and then you find yourself you find yourselves two 0 down now you know I, I mean I, I said. When we did the, the short pro- podcast after the game, I was confident that we would we would have never we were never going to throw away four goals, um, and I still I still think that I still stand by that. But you know, as Cameron mentioned there, no, they had they had nothing to lose. They had to go for it. They had to come out and they had to try and get no, they had to try and get themselves back in the game. They needed a minimum of four goals just to take it to just to take it to extra time. So. Um, and I think we found I think we found ourselves a little bit you know two 0 a little bit shell shocked for that brief spell uh, but yeah the referee the referee made himself the kind of made himself the centre of attention uh, with a you know, a questionable red card I mean we we would be screaming for it if it was if it was you know we you know would be screaming for it if it was you know as if we were allowed in the game <laughs> um but it was it was questionable it was very soft um, and that that then instead of us killing off the game ourselves which which our goal would have done uh, we really did rely on the referee um but um you know you, we're not always going to have have that you know luxury of going away going away to a second leg with a with a 5-1 home win under our belts um so it really stresses the importance of Know, when you get those early chances, and particularly the first half ones, um, we really need to be a little cuter. I mean, the thing is, we find ourselves now, you know, after that game, we find ourselves now where we would have been had we not had an interrupted pre-season. Uh, obviously, there was only the two games that were able to go ahead because of the cancellations due to COVID. Uh, but we've now played, now played some games. It's not ideal, obviously, playing European games as, as, as I suppose you would say, warm-ups or you no know, replacement pre-season games. Uh, we've came through them, you know, unscathed. Uh, so we know we're now where we should be, um, where you're coming into the season and you're looking at everybody to be kind of to almost be firing um, on all cylinders. So you know, thankfully, you know, it didn't really, um, it didn't really harm us too much. But um, it's a slight worry that you know we're giving up, we're giving away, um, well, not sorry, not taking uh, the chances in the way we would like us to be doing.
1: Yeah, in the order of the ties, you taking our chances when we might not have quite as many is going to be key because the next round, and you know, I, I don't really wish to go too deep into the fourth qualifying round at this point, but that's away from home in the first leg as well, both games. So the, the sort of, um, the atmosphere of those ties is going to be different because we're not going to be winning the first leg 5-1 away from home if we are, then happy days, absolutely, but um, it's, we're not going to create the volume of chances we did in the first leg, we're not going to have that sort of dominance that we saw in the first leg against Hacking in the next next round um, and the front two have simply got to be a bit sharper
2: Yeah, I would agree, I think one thing that I'm not sure if you guys have debated this already, but the, the... The, the lack of the away goals rule, really, I just wonder what, what difference that's going to make to, to teams strategically As, as they're planning, planning games away from home and, and games at home um, I guess they'll all have their own, their own plans and, and been creating their own plans But I think it'll take a while for that whole thing to you know, unwind I, I just I add a couple of other things about that game last, last week One, I, I think of all the first round qualifying teams we've played over the last few years They've been the best um, they were clearly decent, and if we'd if we'd really given them a chance in that first first game, um, you know they could well have taken it. So that, I think that has to be borne in mind. The second thing, and I, I don't want to be critical, um, but I am. Um, I think it's early days clearly to start talking about what we need and what we don't need. But I, I am just looking at the first three games there. I do think um, central defence is an area that's. That's just not it's not working yet And it, it'll take some time possibly and there's going to be some new faces maybe I'll p- potentially another face or two but i mean um, McCrory's playing there for the first time Gallagher's not ready yet clearly and um, andy's getting on a bit um um so and mike devlin's you know, still not featuring so you know i think that's an issue that that probably last week's game um has has given us some more food for thought about i think the strikers will i think the strikers looks to me like they're going to be fine. I think they're going to get better service with Hayes moving further forward, with the full-backs moving forward. I think there's going to be good service for these two forwards and uh, um, I think they've made a pretty promising start. So um, hopefully much more to come from them as, as match fitness kicks in.
1: Well we shouldn't worry about the strikers Martin uh, Hugh, because Martin has uh, guaranteed us twenty goals from each of the strikers, and as we know, his predictions are, are unimpeachable and uh, talking more about our defense, Cameron because the personnel fine we can we can discuss the names in there, but I think part of the reason that we we looked so exposed last Thursday night was because we were playing such a high line because we were being quite so open away from home in Europe, which I think it's partly at the way that Stephen Glass wants to play. I think it's partly because that's where modern football is heading. But I think it's fair to say that the, the people that we have in our centre-half positions right now aren't hugely comfortable with playing that expansively.
3: No, and I think that, you know, a perfect example of that, and we'll... we'll... Kind of skip ahead again, But looking at Considine on uh, Sunday Against Dungeons United And a couple of times where he just looked a little bit uncomfortable With the ball moving around an awful lot more The way that Glass has got the team playing It is less time passing it between the back centre halves, and it's more about playing it forward interchanging with the midfield getting Brown Ferguson to drop deep and try and link up more, but that does result in the centre halves moving further up the field I think you also got to look at the fact that this is a, a largely an inexperienced back line um, uh, you know, McCrory obviously we've talked about how he can fit into a number of positions, that's not necessarily the position he played there isn't that Established relationship between him and Considine And I think that Hacken were able to expose that By playing quickly through the middle Um, You look at Considine against Dungeon United again, and I thought that there was a couple Of times there where he just looked Unsure, not quite necessarily Up to speed with the Stephen Glass system He's at a disadvantage because he's that Little bit older, and we've all heard about old Dogs and new tricks, he's got to try and Completely change having played under Derek McInnes In a particular way for so very long So I think that there's a bit of Bedding in time needs to happen there, I think that when Gallagher comes in, he'll add experience And knowledge, um, and I think That Gallagher's a good reader of the game, which will be Very, very useful, but one of the Things that we've seen when we talk about Scott Brown and the impact That he's had is, he's boosted What was a very inexperienced midfield Last year with McCrory and Ferguson And that immediately looks a million times Better because of it, and I think Ferguson Already is thriving on having Someone like Brown in that midfield I'm hoping Gallagher does something similar in the Centre-back position, I'm hoping that we don't Have to rely on McCrory But to Hugh's point, I think that's an area, definitely one of the two areas for me, that we definitely need reinforcements. I think if we look to go into the season with McCrory, Considine and Gallagher with an injured Devlin being our centre-half options, that's going to become a position of pain as we get further down the line.
1: Because this is where we're experiencing, here, They were coming right through the middle as well. You might have thought with the space behind the full-backs that that would be a, an area of weakness. But no, they were, it was right down the middle where we were being caused the major problems.
2: Yeah, both goals. Um, and it just, I don't think it was... I mean, these are not bad players we're talking about. They're good footballers. They can play at this level. But it's, it's for McCrory in particular, this is brand new. I mean, he, he, might have, he may have done it in pre-season and... and practice games and what have you, but um, he's had very little experience, of it, and I think uh, it'll just take time. Um, Gallagher, I'm I'm surprised he didn't start on Sunday. I'm not sure of his state of fitness, but I was hoping he would start on on Sunday, especially as he's in my fantasy team. But um, he, he didn't, and and uh, but he must be coming coming close to starting games, and he he will be he'll be a first name on the sheet most weeks. You would think.
1: We've, yeah, we obviously we have a league in a fantasy, the SPL fantasy SPFL. How dare I go back and see SPL after uh, ten years or whatever it's been. We have a league on there. We've never really talked about it. Um, I, I, I think Martin, your team last year. You made sure that you didn't pick anyone from Seattle Can Rangers. You believe that that's morally the right way to go, even though it completely kiboshes your chances of victory.
4: Uh, yep, it does. It absolutely <laughs> ruins my chance of victory. Um, I managed to finish dead last in um, Dun- Duncan Rothney's extraordinary dandies league, um, and I was absolutely nowhere in our league as well. But it's just it's just the right thing to do. Um, okay. know, in, in, the I, same, in the same way as during the Euros I just can't bring myself to pick any England players um, no, it's, I, as What saying, you have it's to do guys is, um, you'll, you'll
2: know my friend Jock Gardner Who uh, um, A more passionate dandy you could find hard to meet um, Jock's got his own league His own fantasy football league Where rule number one is No Celtic or Rangers players so that's that's the league I'm in, um, and it is much more fun. It's, it's great.
1: We obviously need to do much heavier betting, Martin. I'll leave that to you. Um, anyway, as we said on Thursday night, immediately after the game, I suppose, Martin, it was job done. And you know, should we be picking at at the bones of this game too forensically? Because it it was a good win in aggregate. It's a team that we were. Honestly, I think all of us were pretty worried. Might
4: be us. I mean, look—if it was a one—if it was a one-off game, and we won, and we won the game five-three, um, I don't think we would be complaining. Uh, it's just that you know, obviously, it was, it was split up like that. It was second leg was you no, know, there was a few worries there. Um, give us, a, give us, you gave us some food for thought. Maybe, maybe showed us a little bit more than the first leg did about where some weaknesses are. That we'd really kind of thought about anyway. You no, know, we did. We we had identified sort of you know, obviously the lack of pace through the middle and then in defence as well. But um, you know, it's it, it that's the thing. It is it's job done? You know, the tie was the tie was ninety nine percent done in the first leg. You know, it wasn't like we'd you know we'd scraped a nil nil or a one nil and then we're going over there. This was you know we we had a really good win with um, some really good backing from the backing from the stands in the home leg. Um, so I think that. You know, I don't want to say that they were they, the, some of the players. Perhaps had were just kind of playing within themselves. i would be wrong to say that. I think that perhaps just you know they knew that the tie was the tie was was over, and there was no need to do anything, anything silly, anything risky. Um, it was just a case of it going over, and it was really just about seeing out the tie. Because you know, Haken aren't aren't some kind of you no know, joke outfit. They're not Dugava Riga or something like that where you're gonna go over there and you're gonna rack up some more goals. Um they're a really capable side and they show, and they and they, show, they showed that in both games to be fair. in um, the opening spell of the first game um, and then we overwhelmed them um getting that second goal right before half time. And in the second leg it's the ex- second leg, you no know, they showed that. They showed they were a good team and they have got some good players. Um so I think it would be harsh uh, but it would be harsh to be nit- to nitpick. Um, we're through, that's really all that matters.
1: Well, as we expected last week, there were tales of uh, Aberdeen-based dandies who bent some of the travel restrictions to make it over to Gothenburg last week. Um, fair play to them. It's obviously immense um, disappointment for the majority of us who, who didn't feel that we could take that risk and make it over to Gothenburg for the pilgrimage there. But we were able to speak to uh, a Stockholm-based Dons fan who um, was able to travel to see his side play in his adopted home country. So we spoke to Chris Hill um, about his experiences last week. So, hi, Chris. Thanks for joining me. First things to say, how long have you been in Stockholm and how long have you been waiting for the Dons to get a draw over in Sweden?
0: Uh, Well, I've been over in Sweden now for 20 years. um, So you can imagine uh, every time, We've qualified for something. I've been hoping that we we would find our way somehow to Stockholm. There's three teams in Stockholm, um, but but it's never happened. There's only been a a friendly match for Scotland. uh, And I live beside the football stadium, the national arena, so it's never happened. So I was delighted when we drew a Swedish team. Um, recently,
1: yep. yeah. Yeah, there have been narrow misses. There have been times when there has been Swedish teams in the pot, but we've not picked them out. Um, but obviously the circumstances this year were, were different. Um, when the draw was made, was, uh, I mean, you must, if you've been there 20 years, you'll, you'll know a lot of locals. Was the expectation basically that Hacking would see us off, or is Scottish football still considered pretty low rent over in Sweden?
0: I mean, I get a ribbing for Scottish football, so I think that we still have to shake that off. I mean, the the locals I speak to, everybody knows Henrik Larsson. They know about that time. Um, but I mean, I, the the friends I've got in Stockholm, um, they they were hoping they would. They pretty much said, um, if you don't beat Heckin', uh then then you're going to be in trouble for the season. Although. I Looking at, at the team, I mean, there, there were no mugs. Um, they're, they're a decent team. A lot's been thought of them, and I think um, we've heard that um, since before and since the game as well. They, they should do well this season.
1: But what was the experience like it, in, you know, the current climate? Um, getting tickets, I think it was not a problem.
0: No, no. Um, I've got to say it was brilliant. I mean, I, I've been starved of football. I, I've heard you guys talking about the the red TV experience last season, uh, which was new for a lot of people and um how you couldn't really understand how the fans put up with that um that's my normal um mm. i mean every year i try to get over uh for a game at potauri and invariably it's it's one of the european games but i the last game i've been able to see live in person was the burnley game um so it's been a long time um so i i thought it was brilliant and just the fact that i was able to get tickets um uh, I just thought that was fantastic. I think they could have taken, I think um, at the stadium, I think they were talking about 1,500. At the end, it was about eight, 900 people there. So there was plenty of tickets up for grabs, yeah.
1: Yeah, they're they're not a team that's usually that well supported And you're absolutely right on the Red TV thing I know it must have sounded like whinging from my point of view For the expats who have had to to deal with this uh, over the past few years But obviously having it is better than not having it Um, I remember working abroad quite a lot 15, 20 years ago when, you know, you got updates on your phone if you were lucky, Um, so so I suppose we should be grateful for what we've got, and what I've also heard from a lot of people is that last season was even much worse for the people who normally watch on red TV, simply because there was no atmosphere and nothing going on inside the ground. Um, Obviously, you know, we saw that there were some Aberdeen fans that uh, bent the rules a little bit and made it out to Gothenburg. Did you manage to socialise with them? I, I've
0: got to say, I didn't get to, to do that because m- the way I managed to get to the game was to convince the wife uh, that we, we'd combine it <laughs> with a bit of a holiday to see a bit of the West Coast <laughs> of Sweden. Uh, so we, we went through, took the dog with us. Um, so, so there was no socialising in pubs and things like that beforehand. But there was the... Uh, as you do, as a as a Dons fan going to Gothenburg, there was the obligatory visit to the Ulevi, um beforehand, which was just uh, terrific. Um, so, so yeah, that was great. And it, it just so happened that, that, I mean, I didn't realise this was going to happen, but uh, obviously Dave Cormack and uh, Simi were doing their press conference at the Ulivi. And that coincided with just when we got into Gothenburg. So I was able to... Um, stalk them outside the stadium uh, and get get a couple of photos and have a chat with them. So it was I mean that made my day. That was just terrific. I didn't really care how the result went after that. That was you, you go to Gothenburg, scene of our greatest victory, and you meet one of the Gothenburg greats as you do. It was it was fantastic.
1: Atmosphere wise, you know, the work had been done on the first game and as you said, a much lower attendance than they might have expected usually under a thousand. Did it have the feel of a dead rubber? or I mean, I was certainly getting a little bit concerned at Tino's then. I don't know about you and the ground. Yeah,
0: yeah, um, definitely. Um, I, I, was, I was in touch with my brother back home in Scotland and, and sort of saying they can't possibly uh, lose this, can they? I was getting a bit nervous, I have to say. Um, in terms of the, the atmosphere... It was interesting. I heard in the interviews afterwards that, that Joe Lewis didn't realize that they got a man sent off. And I almost missed that as well because you, there was none of the sort of the usual pointers from the home fans, the groaning, that sort of thing. And I was so far away from the action and, and I'm used to seeing replays and things like that on red TV. Um, so a few things missed us. And, and thankfully, one of those things was Ojo's miss as well. It was down at the end where <laughs> I didn't realize just how bad a miss that actually was. So uh, small, small. Uh, thank goodness, small graces there.
1: So the first time we've seen them in three years, a, a disappointing result and outcome. Um, obviously, there wouldn't have been normally in a way European game, the team would go to the support. I take it, there wasn't that opportunity this time. It was, um, it was all quite low key. You'd be surprised they did. I was watching the game
0: against uh, United uh, just there, and I think that's. It's the first time that, that Scott Brown's been able to keep his own top because he did the the the, the thing he did uh, back at Petardery in the first match. So he gave away his top at the end to there, there was a guy you'll have seen him uh, on the pictures, uh, sort of a Tartan Army fan behind the goal. Yes, yeah. Uh, he he got uh, Scott Brown's top at the end, and the, and uh, the Aberdeen fans stayed behind. So uh, we got our uh, tour the the round of applause, which seems to be a thing this season. So um. They, they they noticed us there
1: Oh well good to hear that that was the case um, And um, I, I thought It was probably inevitable that uh, the Scots Would definitely make themselves heard in that scenario um, So Chris I, I can only hope that uh, you do get Your wish of a, a proper tie in Sweden One day um, And I, I know that uh, every Aberdeen fan Would want to make the pilgrimage to Gothenburg and watch this play there. Um, It's just a damn shame that the circumstances meant that uh, most of us had to stay home for this one. Uh, But great to speak to you. And um, who knows, maybe the European group stages might see us back in Sweden this year.
0: Yeah, here's hoping. Um, Pleasure
1: speaking to you, Richard, and keep up the good work. Well, that was great to speak to Chris. Um, Maybe the circumstances weren't exactly as how he would have liked them to pan out with maybe a couple of thousand other... Don's fans there as drinking buddies but um, I'm glad he got to, to see his team uh, in his home country. Um, one of the other things that came out of the trip to Sweden um, was announced by our publicity-shy chairman on the day of the game. It was uh, the fact that um, a statue of Sir Alex Ferguson is going to be put outside the beach end, hopefully to be unveiled before the end of the year. Um, Hugh, some Previous chairmen, some previous boards, some previous managers have maybe had uh, an issue coming to terms with the history of the club uh, and the weight that that carries. But um, certainly uh, Dave Cormack seems seems like he wishes to embrace that as well as moving the club forward.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, uh, I think, I mean, Sir Alex, this is the obvious choice. I think it's probably way overdue um, in many ways. But you know it's 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 happening, and I think we should embrace it and enjoy it. Um, Dave 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 wants to have a, a much closer association with with the fans than than he perceives there's been in the past, um, and he has the charisma um, and the confidence uh, to do that, um, and and he will. I mean, this is no question. He will uh, he will engage with fans. He'll go on engaging with fans. I think. Um, you know, I don't think you'll find many other chairmen so active on social media of any football club anywhere. Um, um, he, he, that's just the way he is, and he and he isn't going to change. So um, he'll need to be thick-skinned um, because uh, he'll see stuff on there that he doesn't like very much, and it will get quite personal at times. Um, but I think he's probably he probably understands that, and, he, and he'll be he'll be up for that. But this is a this is a good decision. It's it's just overdue. Uh,
1: Cameron, about yourself. I mean, um, for me statue should be for dead guys but um, do do you think it's the right time and the right person
3: oh it's definitely the right person timing wise i i I get your point on that but i think isn't it nice that ferguson can hopefully have that appreciation of it in his own lifetime as well and does he not deserve that so i i think that yeah there's a valid point to say normally you'd raise a statue to to Remember someone that's no longer with us, but I think it's absolutely brilliant that we're able to do it, while Alex Ferguson can appreciate it. Uh, and I think it's brilliant. You absolutely deserve it. Um, you know, there's there's not been a greater football manager in the world, in my eyes, um, and he, he did so much of what he achieved in his career at Aberdeen. Uh, so, uh, you know, as much an honour for us to be able to acknowledge him as it is an honour for him, I'm sure, to have himself be acknowledged. Uh, you know, obviously there's already a statue at Old Trafford, so it's definitely right that there's one at Petaudry, and hopefully we get to move it just down the beach, though I'm sure that's a topic for another podcast.
1: <laughs> Martin, there's also been the talk that um, this will be the first of a number of uh, statues to commemorate um, figures within the AFC history. Um, don't you, then run the risk of it becoming a bit of a popularity contest? I think back to the, to the naming of the training pitches that, at uh, at uh, what well, comic park as it's now called um you know you're always looking to see you know who got missed out and you know who got selected and said and why did they get selected that kind of idea you know who gets to decide who is more important than, than somebody else for a statue
4: uh, well yeah that's the that's the sort of million dollar question really i mean um, they have said it's going to be a, a series of you know, um of their statues are Things to remember, um, club legends. So you know, I don't know. I don't know if it would, would it go if it would go a fan vote again. I mean, there was a lot of there was a lot of grumbling about the pitches and things like that, which I can understand. I mean, in the in the end, it doesn't. It's not really important. Um, you know, it's it's some training pitches at, a, at the at the training park. Um, I think that you know there will be you no know, when when if touchwood. Um, the new stadium happens. I think you know we're gonna we're, we'll see some of that. Some of the stands uh, will be named after some of the legends as well. I would imagine, um, but it is it is going to be it is going to be. I'm sure it will be a contentious one. I mean, who who do you pick after after no Sir Alex? Um, you know there was twelve guys twelve guys played that night in Gothenburg as well. Um, which what do you choose? One um you know personally you know if you're going to if you're going to uh, if you're going to do one you really have to do them all don't you um so i think it would be an interesting uh, there'd be an interesting one i think it would more be some sort of you know kind of commemorative you no know, Thing rather than no, a statue of say Willie Miller lifting the trophy or something like that. I'm not sure. Um, it's interesting. I mean, look, this, this is this is overdue, um, and it is you know I I'm, I fully agree with you. you know, um, usually I, I think the statue should be put up for somebody who's passed. Um, I, I said the same when they put the Dennis Law one up at the, the Sports Village as well. I thought it was a, I think it's a bit strange, but um, absolutely absolutely the right person. Um, there's no. There's no greater legend in, in world football in terms of football management for me. Um, and it's, this is a great way of being able to show um, the greatest football manager of all time just h- how loved and respected he is in this city.
3: I'm just going to jump in very bri- briefly because yes. I think there's a missed opportunity here as well about the way that we've phrased this. Um, You know, if you go back to the pitches thing and even the statue thing, who do we get? You know, the pitches, there's some fans annoyed because X person didn't get it or these three players should have got it. That's a positive talking point that we can carry with us into every single pub or Aberdeen conversation that we've got for the next... Goodness only knows how long. For the next 50 years, we could be arguing about which great Aberdeen player should be put in statue form. And that's a brilliant conversation to have. It's not one that we should be afraid of or shy away from. We should embrace the opportunity to argue about our greats and our greatness over the years. So I think it's a brilliant thing to never do too many. Always leave... Fans wanting a little bit more. You know, I'm going to bring it back to the NFL a little bit here because there's the Hall of Fame and there's players going to the Hall of Fame and every year there's arguments about this guy should be in there, it's a disgrace. But it's a positive conversation because you're then able to talk about that player and his greatness. And again, his greatness is magnified because you remember it through doy eyes and you talk about it more because he's been denied, he's been wronged in some way. And then that moment when that player gets it and finally gets that statue, it means so much to you as a fan. And that's something that, we can all embrace and enjoy, and yeah, there'll be arguments, and yeah, there'll be people disagreeing, but it'll all be done out of a positive point, and I think it just keeps us talking about those great players. It immortalises them through words, even though they might not be immortalised in brass or whatever.
1: Well, uh, Dons, of course, have their own Hall of Fame, um, which... It started out with the best of intentions I I do think it's probably a little more than an excuse To try and get the uh, event dinner money in these days And if they keep um, admitting six at a time We'll probably be getting to the point 20 or 30 years down the line When Nicky Maynard might make it in Um, So (laughs) Moving back to the present day though Dundee United were the visitors on Sunday We had worried ourselves with the fact that last season We had looked unable to score against uh, them Certainly didn't seem to have the same issues on Sunday um, against a very, very defensively set up Dundee United, a team who seemed to come here with the intention of getting a nil-nil draw. Um, there was one change from Thursday's team. Um, I think it's been very interesting to note that um, the side was unchanged for Thursday and just had the, the one injury enforced change change for, for the game on Sunday. Uh, that was Johnny Hayes playing further up the park and Jack McKenzie in to start at left-back at the expense of the injured Ryan Hedges. Now, Hayes' first couple of appearances, Hugh, at left-back this season had been slightly shaky. Um, what we saw on Saturday was uh, Sunday rather was the direct evidence of how effective he can still be in the attacking third.
2: Yeah, I think, I think we're going to benefit here from the emergence of, of Jack McKenzie because it's just, it's just going to allow... Um, Johnny to play to play further forward when last year the options were Considine or Hayes and, and not much else. So I think I think I think it's it's the emergence of McKenzie that's going to give this 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 opportunity and there's no question Hayes is, Hayes is still a danger in that part of the pitch. Um, I think I think comparing it to last season is probably um, not not a reasonable comparison to make. Um, this is a new team, new squad, new manager. Um, and you know, if you look at it compared to the, I remember the, the cup tie uh, and speaking to Stephen Glass about it, and he he, he just felt that they would put so much effort into the Livingston and Celtic games uh, just before that. That although they had a clear plan about what they wanted to do against Dundee United, they were all just out on their feet. And, and and because we lacked, in my view, anyway, we lacked on the pitch leadership. Um, I, and and Joe a great guy and all the rest of it, but it's very hard to captain from goalkeeper. I think because of that lack of leadership on the field, we just never got started, and therefore we never got going. So um, I don't really want to compare with that. I think uh, this is this is new. Um, I was I was reasonably impressed yesterday. I'm not getting carried away with yesterday. I I I thought it was okay in bits, um, and it wasn't certainly wasn't consistently okay. I thought we were a bit ponderous at times. Um, I thought, and it's well documented. The fullbacks were great. Scott Brown's leading, um, great, um, and there's other bits and pieces going on, but it wasn't. It, wasn't, it certainly wasn't a complete performance. Um, they were awful. Um, they, they, I mean, they passed the ball around, it, bits okay, but from a from a, a you know a threat point of view, I thought they were really, really poor. Um, and I think they've got a, a lot of work to do to um, not be in some kind of um, battle at the wrong end of the league this season. So um, I wouldn't take too much out of yesterday. I was. Encouraged by three points, which is always great uh, first game and always great against them, um, and we and we move on. But there's there's a lot of improvement uh, required from yesterday.
1: Yeah, Cameron. There's a really odd narrative developing online that you know that you have to kind of see this as a as a complete year zero almost from from the previous manager, and it was you know night and day. Whereas it wasn't night and day from a lot of the performances we'd become used to seeing. It was a team which. Uh, Got a goal at a good time in the first half and and controlled the possession, controlled the ball well after that point. Didn't create a great deal, 0.54 of an XG for those that are interested in that sort of thing. Um, And certainly the last half hour, frankly, was boring.
3: Yes, absolutely. Took the foot off the gas completely and... Perhaps we'll forgive them because they've got half an eye on Europe. We've just travelled from Sweden. We've got to travel to Iceland. Um, uh, Perhaps a focus on that. But I talked earlier on about how I thought Stephen Glass was really good at articulating himself. He's really good in interviews. But one of the things, he sort of talked about how dangerous we looked and we created goal chances. And that was the one thing I was kind of like... Do you know, it's the one thing we didn't do on Sunday. We had loads of possession. It was really neat. It was tidy. Uh, There was lots of link-up play. There was clever play. I thought our reading of the game and the reading of the opposition was very strong. Um, I felt it was a, a quicker performance than we perhaps saw under McInnes. But it didn't result in any greater output in the final third, I didn't think. Uh, and I think that's the area of concern still for me There, there needs to be a, a way to turn these, this position into more opportunities Now maybe the fact that Hedges wasn't playing, mixed things up and it slightly ruined the game plan, I don't know But Hayes came in and um, as Hugh was talking about, I thought Hayes was brilliant uh, and Hayes up the park shows exactly what he's still got to offer I thought it was a really hard-working performance from him as well And hard-working from the strikers, which is slightly different Seeing them coming back and, and winning the ball again in midfield Is really important throughout the game And making sure that Dungeon United were very quiet But yeah, I, we were decent, they were absolutely honking uh, And I don't read too much into this either But if you go to the BBC website and you look at the, the player ratings now, I think it's the fans that are watching it that do this. The highest ranked Dungeon United player was Seagriss with a 6.02, who was lower than our lowest player, which was Jack Gurr, who came on in the to ninth minute, and he got a 6.18. So, you know, the fact that Gurr could do more in a minute than Seagriss did all game is very telling. But um, it was as much that Dungeon United were absolutely honking. The game on directly after us was Hibs' motherwell We would not have had a performance anything like what we did against United against either of those teams. And it'll be interesting to see how we can continue to develop and what our game plan looks like against some of these better teams.
1: I can already tell, Martin, that Emmanuel Thomas is going to annoy me this season. He's going to produce moments which will get me off my seat and I'll be really excited about it. But for a lot of the season, I'll just be yelling at him for giving the ball away needlessly, which was the case, God knows how many times on Sunday.
4: Yeah, he um <laughs> he likes a, he likes to try a little trick here and there, doesn't he? I mean, um if you look through his if you look through his Instagram page, he's got these he makes these videos of like compilations of him doing little tricks and all these little moments where he's doing lollipops and nutmegs and things like that. Um, so yeah, you can you can expect that. I guess that's no. That's what we're going to have. No, dare I use the term enigma about him? Because um, I think that's potentially what we've got there. I mean, I thought he was, I thought he was dro- dropping very deep. I suppose because Dundee United played as a three at the three. You no, know, he was, he was finding it tough because he, when he did get into kind of half decent positions, he was always seemed to be crowded out. Um, so he was dropping, he was dropping quite deeper. He was dropping out wide, and then there was a lot of times you, Ojo found himself you no know, more advanced than than. Um, I'm just, I'm just going to call him Jet. I'm fed up. i fed up. i trying to stop not do it. I've, I've lasted all this time. I'm just going to start calling him Jet. Sorry, Richard. Embrace sir. it. Embrace I it. I just it's too awkward calling him J. Emmanuel Thomas. It's like no. So yeah, Ojo found himself further forward. The Jet was um, quite a lot of the game. Um, so I guess that, that that was something where where he struggled because you know we know he's he's not very quick. Um, so he found himself kind of in midfield or wide positions. Uh, and that's not really, you know, that's not, I don't think it's really what we, what we need him to be doing. Um, but again, yeah, Dundee Dundee came to sit, uh, and, they, and they really did. Um, they sat, they sat, and they sat very deep, um, which is disappointing because in terms of just for no uh, for, for the, the purposes of the game, you know, they've got some they've got some decent players there, um, but they came looking for a point, they came to spoil, um, and that was that was frustrating, and I think that. No, Jet just lost his lost his way in the game. You know, he didn't really he didn't really impress at all. Didn't do very much. Not much linking up with Ramirez, um, and so it was it was it was disappointing for him. Um, you know, maybe he's still maybe he was still feeling a little bit of the effect to the knock on on Thursday as well. You don't know. Um, he took He took a little. You know, he got a little one in the face on Sunday as well. So you don't know. You don't know if that maybe just kind of you know, knocked his confidence a little bit as well, which is you no, know, hopefully not, but. You know, you can you, you, if you if you want to read into these things, that could potentially what it was. Uh, but yeah, he is the he is someone that we're gonna he's going to be frustrating. Uh, but you know what's going to happen is going to he's going he's gonna to have the whole south stand screaming at him because he's going to stick one out for a shy, and then the, the next touch he's going to knock one into the top corner or something. He's he's one of these. You know, I don't think you're ever going to get consistent, you know, eight, nine, ten, ten out of ten performances from him. But you're going to get moments of magic are going to win us games.
1: And you're going to get 20 goals according to you of the current goal tally? Zero This could be a well, recurring feature Mark.
4: Well I did I did say that both strikers are going to get 20 So currently we're 2 down 38 to go So it's it's on track It's
1: on track Okay I, I, As a fact one of them might be carrying the burden A little bit more than the other um, Hugh I, I'm quite happy To have fairly dull Routine home victories Because you know 95% of most games in any given season are usually fairly forgettable. However, were you are you confident that there are more gears there that we need to find them? Um, yeah, I,
2: th- I think if if Steven is true to his word about the style of football he wants to play, then then there must be a few more gears to go. Um, we saw it certainly in the first European match. Um, haven't seen it in the, in the last two games, I don't think so. But it's, listen, it's, it's, we're three games into a 50-game season, so there's it, a long, long, long way to go, and and we can't really judge Stephen yet. I, I, I believe him in what he says. I think that's the, definitely the style of football he wants to play, um, and and, and I'm, I'm sure he'll go for it. I, as I said earlier, I think we're a couple of players short still, um, and I hope uh, Dave is, is, is thinking about that quite closely, because I, I don't think this current squad um, is capable of achieving what... Um, the, the four of us would like to achieve this season For example So um, I think there's work to be done But listen, this is really, really early days um, And for, you know, I, I think to be talking about Stephen's style of play And how it's, how it's appearing on the field And and whether that's producing mundane home wins Or exciting home wins um, I think we should wait till well, October, November at least
1: Hugh, as a man with a pretty active Twitter account I can't believe you're reeling against the idea Of uh, instant assessments the standard, as, as Hugh mentioned, right at the outset, Cameron, the young fullbacks, in particular Calvin Ramsey, who has made that right-back spot his own, it seems, after only three games this season, uh, and obviously capped by that wonderful turn and cross for the second goal. How excited are you about uh, Calvin?
3: Uh, that goal got me up out my seat watching that. I'll be honest. You know, the first one was great, but the second one, I, I was actually up out my seat, and it was it was the Ramsey play, the the link up on the right hand side between Hayes, Jet and Ramsey, it was all very clever, uh, but Ramsey just read it really well. You know, stumbled but composed himself, even that shows a level of experience and determination. Uh, I think that they are young, they are enthusiastic in, in Glass's system, they're going to have to work hard, they've got the youth on their side to be able to do that. And I think both Mackenzie and um, Ramsey have shown that, that they, um, they've got that, Nose for a goal, and they've got that nose for being creative on the offense, which is something that we're very much, we very much need, and I think it has been lacking for a while. It's you know we talked about the strikers there, and I think a really important thing for this team to be successful with the type of strikers we've got is you're going to need goals from all round the park, um, and I think both of those, you know, both the right back and the left back, give us those options, which I think is very exciting. You know, he very much deserved his man of the match. He had a great performance. For me, it was between him and Hayes. I thought the two of them were tremendous. Um, but Ramsey, definitely a standout. Mackenzie as well, obviously. Ramsey's getting all the attention on this one. I thought McKenzie had a really clean game, looked dangerous on the attack a couple of times as well. There's a lot to be excited about there, but let's not get too excited just yet. That's the, that, again, that's the Aberdeen fan in me speaking, because I've been excited about young players coming through before and... Yeah, let's just see how they do against some of the better teams
1: Ah yes, uh, Stephen Payne Better than David Beckham and all that But right, so one thing I do know about the Cormac, Glass,
2: regime is um, Dave's made it very clear to Stephen That um, the, the young players um, If they've got it, if they've got the talent They have to be given game time And um, Because I think that was a Fairly genuine criticism Of the academy of the last Two or three years um, that, that people just weren't getting a chance to get game time, um, and we've seen it now with with Ramsey, um, and and I think I think I think we'll see it with I think we'll see one or two others. I, I I'm not sure what level of uh, you know talent we have coming through in total. I know one or two of them, but and I know one or two of them are, are fairly highly thought of. But I think what we will see under Stephen Glass is game time.
1: Yeah, and to be fair to the previous manager, Calvin Ramsey was one I think everyone in the club has been excited about for some time. He was in a first-team squad, I think, maybe three days after his 16th birthday and has actually spent about 12 months out injured uh, over the last couple of years as well. So, um, certainly, I I think Calvin Ramsey is someone who could well have been given an opportunity, opportunity under the previous manager. But, yeah, we spoke time and time again about... Fill in signings coming Especially to those full back spots And you know the, the clear and obvious Example is the, the re-signing of Greg Lee Last season when you know as it turned out Jack McKenzie could have been making A push for that spot last year um, So If we have an ex-director on the show I think it's only right that we grill him a little bit over um, What goes on behind uh, Those doors in the Pataudry boardroom um, So I'm wondering first of all Hugh how much of a democracy is it really? I mean, what sort of stuff do the directors really get to dis- decide upon and discuss with them, themselves? Or what's left to the executives? Or what's just dictated to them by the chairman?
2: Um, well, I, I think that we're probably talking about two different regimes here. I think when, if a chairman also happens to be the, the owner and funder, um, then he's probably going to be demanding a, a greater say in what goes on. But I think... I mean, I've always said that the the two most important jobs for a board at a football club is firstly to choose the right manager, and secondly to give him as big a budget as you can without putting the club's finances at risk. It, it's not the board's role to pick and choose players, although I've seen directors to try and do that. It simply doesn't work. You, you'll fall out with the manager very quickly if you go down that route. Um, and so, I think, I think. Um, I think In my time, certainly, the board got to approve and see all of the major decisions about signing players and and, and selling players and and anything to do with, you know, obviously stadiums or or stuff like that. The big stuff all came to the board. Day-to-day stuff, not so much. I mean, I suspect that smart managers like Derek McInnes, for one, you know, he'll have got his his acquisition plans agreed by the chairman before it comes to the board because he was very close to Stuart and maybe maybe too close at times, but I think I think he will have done his work with the chairman before it came to the board. And so if you if you happen to disagree with him, then you're going to be disagreeing with the chairman as well. And that's probably not a great a great place to be starting off. I, I think our, our role in, on on acquisitions and sales of players was more down to how does it work within the budget. I mean I don't I really don't think it's our place to say don't think you should be signing him. I think I think it's our job to say there's your budget. Um, if you sign this player then the wage budget's going to be um, Two hundred thousand over over where we said it was going to be, explain, and I, and I think that's where that's our role in, when it comes to the buying and selling of players. So, I think boards see all major decisions, but I think I think you know under Dave, um, clearly he's going to have a a bigger say probably uh, on his own than uh, than pre the previous board would have had collectively because it's his money, it's his deal, it's his gig now, um, you know. Um, without Dave, frankly. The business wouldn't still be here.
1: You were there for uh, twelve years uh, between two thousand and two thousand and twelve. Uh, I, I think I'm right really in saying that for the majority of that time there was a football director um, on the board, whether it be Keith Birkinshaw or laterally Willie Miller from two thousand and four onwards. When it came to hiring of a new manager, was that a decision that was largely left to the director of football or? W- was the criteria set by the board? A hiring committee set up by the board? How, how did that tend to work?
2: Yeah, the board would set up a, certainly had set up a committee, but the, the director of football, if there was one in place at the time, would have a pretty big say in that. I mean, I think the board would expect the football, the director, the director of football, to come up with um, him, his recommendation for uh, for the manager. I mean, when I when I was there, um, certainly part of my time there there, was, there wasn't a director of football because I remember I remember interviewing. At least three of the managers That we employed during that spe- during that period Just with me and perhaps Stuart And perhaps uh-huh. Gordon Buchan. Um So I, I, I think we went through A pretty normal um, interview process When there wasn't a director of football but, but if you do have a director of football Yeah, you'd expect um, him to have a pretty big influence In, in the say of a, of a new manager
1: We've got a situation now obviously, Where there is a majority shareholder As you've already stressed It's Dave's show, it's his money He's the one keeping the show on the road when you were there, you were you were obviously um, placed there as part of AAM's shareholding. They were a major shareholder, along with Stuart Milnes' individual shareholding and his uh, company shareholding as well. What's the power dynamic like in a situation where you have, you know, clearly a couple of dominant factions? Again, I'm wondering how democratic it is. How much, you know, during your time, it was always Stuart Milne as chairman. How much? Of the democracy it is or how much is it Stuart's way?
2: No, I will under Stuart it, it was um, it was a democracy. I mean, um, it may not have seemed like that to the outside world because Stuart was obviously the, the day-to-day spokesman for all matters, corporate and board level. Um, but no, he was he was very inclusive of the rest of the board and he you know, he was very appreciative of the fact that half the money that was going into the club was coming from Aberdeen Asset. I mean, you know, we reached, we had a kind of informal arrangement with Stuart that, you know every time he put in a pound, we put in a pound and and vice versa. So um, we were going into these things on pretty equal levels and and as as such, he he respected the views of of Martin, myself um, and actually, to be fair, the rest of the board as well. So, no, absolutely a democracy under Stuart. Um, I say, we're pretty different now. I mean, Dave's, I mean, you guys will know this as as well as I do, but Dave and his US mates are now in for close to 20 million. Now, there's just no one else who would have come close to doing that. I mean, I know there's huge wealth up in this part of the world, old money and all the rest of new money. Um, but, you know, they've all been asked at some point to invest in the football club, and very, very few have. You know, apart from Stuart, Aberdeen Asset, Willie and Elaine Donald, that's about it in terms of significant cash going into the football club from, from third parties. But Dave's now in for more than the three of those names put together, and some. Um, so it's his show now, and, and uh, but be, there are other directors there to make sure that there's proper governance, proper decision making, and that the business is just run properly. And Dave's well aware is well aware that as a director of a UK company, his job um, under the rules is to act in the best interests of all of the shareholders, not just himself. So he's, he's well aware of that. I was really pleased to see the appointment of Zoe Ogilvy recently to the board. Zoe is, and I'm not being condescending here. She's she's Apart from being very, very smart and very, very streetwise She knows her football, she'll be great And, um, and, and she knows how businesses are run She runs her own one um, superbly well So I think that's a really good appointment um, And um, we'll hopefully keep Dave on, on his toes As far as some of the, the PR is concerned as well um, So yeah, no, I, I, think, I think it will be different under Dave Because it's his gig um, And that's just a fact um, But if you look at what he's done so far As I say, he's t- just about close to £20 million in I don't think anyone can complain too much about what he's doing. On that topic
1: of uh, some of the new additions to the board, you know, what, what do you think is more important at a club like Aberdeen, at a club the level of Aberdeen? Is it more important to know the role of a UK director and be able to execute it well, perhaps with experience from other business, other interests? Or do you think it, you're required to have a genuine feel for the club? Because obviously we have a host of the US investors who, who don't have that background with the club and um, well um, I think people have been scrutinising the uh, new director's uh, social media posts for evidence of her loyalties
2: Yeah, yeah um, Well look first of all, as a director of any any company registered at company House, you have a responsibility to act in the best interests of all of the shareholders that is your primary responsibility and so even when I was on the board, I mean I, I had to act In the interest of all of the shareholders, not just Aben asset and its money um, and it's that that can be challenging you know because um, I obviously cared about Aberdeen asset as well um, and, and about its investment and we had to you know people often say to me that f- football 's no different from any other business, you just run it like any other business i'm afraid that's just that 's just not the case um, football is is completely different football 's not run for um, for profit or to, for dividends or or whatever, it it it's run for for the fans and for the communities and for uh, and it's it, it is just completely different. And you you know you you might think you can try and run it like a like a every other business, but at the end of the day on a on a Saturday afternoon when 11 guys run out to play a game of football, there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Um, and if they keep losing those games of football, then, you know, you, you may have some difficult decisions to make. But you've got no control over what's happening between three o'clock and quarter to five. So um, I, I found it, it pretty hard. I, I found it quite stressful. I certainly had more sleepless nights over the football club than I did over Aberdeen Asset. Um, because, because, you know, your, it's your passion. You know, it's, it's, it is what it is. I mean, I, yeah, I was a director and I was representing Aberdeen Asset. But I was a fan, and I, I, you know and, and that's always there at the back of your mind You're, you know when things don 't go well, I, I got stressed about it because I was worried about the impact it was having on the on the fans and the fact that they weren't enjoying it so um, yeah, you, you have to behave like a director, but you know it's very difficult to cut your cut your your, your ties as a fan as well at the same time.
1: Uh, you were on the board boardroom at the same time there was a nominated fan representative on the board. You've already said that you, you felt like it was a democratic environment in the uh, during your time, but do you believe that um, you know the fans' reps views were, were were taken with the same weight as maybe some of the other directors in that room, or or was it a case of it just being padding for the room, a, a little bit of um, a little bit of show for the fans to say yes, look, we have someone here who is representing you? Yeah, I. I
2: i think it's I think being a fans rep on the board of a football club is a pretty tough gig to be honest and I'm really not sure especially in this age of instant news and social media, how much a fans rep can actually add these days i mean it's impossible for an owner or a board not to know what the majority of fans are thinking it's all over the place the the challenge is separating out separating out the constructive thoughts and opinions and criticism from the destructive ones, but it's all out there to see so um, and one fan is is going to have his own views, but is that one fan going to have the view of of all hundred thousand Don's fans around the world, or however many there are? It's I think it's a pretty tough gig, you know. Um, I think I think what what we'll see with Dave is I think he'll be very inclusive with the fans about the matters which will affect, in particularly such as the match day experience, you know, travel to and from games, etc. And 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 so I'm I'm not sure that fans' rep on the board would help much to that end. I, I think under Dave and, and Rob. I'm not sure there's ever been a time at a club when the fans have been given such a priority in terms of communication and and, inclusive and inclusiveness. And, and, and I think that has to be a right and good thing. Um, obviously, without fans, there's no club. But I, 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 fans rep on the board, I, I think if you look up and down the country at the, at the examples of fans reps on board... I'm not sure that many have been really that successful.
1: Just finally, I, I mean, we've, you've spoken about the sleepless nights, and uh, there's no question those years, 2000, 2012, won't necessarily be looked back of as the most vintage of uh, years for having football club, but, but there were some highs during that point. What were your individual highs um, when you were um, on the board then? Oh, gosh.
2: Um, yeah, no, you're right. It was um, the wilderness years, really. <laughs> it was... It was. It wasn't. It wasn't easy for for those ten years. And hey, listen, with the benefit of hindsight, would we have? Would I have made one or two different decisions or come up with one or two different opinions? Sure. I mean, as I said at the very start, I think the important thing is to choose the right manager. And again, with hindsight, did we choose the right manager every time? Probably not. Um, I don't remember getting a lot of criticism on the day those managers were appointed. Um, but clearly, one or two of them. You know, McGee being the best example, I suppose, just didn't work out, and and it, it, it's 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 a hellish thing when that happens because you know you, you can try and make a quick decision if you want, but um, it's often not that easy to do that. Stuart's quite a I would describe Stuart as being reasonably stubborn, and um, you know he, he he certainly wasn't one for for making snap decisions on on firing or hiring managers. So you had you to go through some pretty tough times With some of that So yeah, I, I, a lot of it wasn't that enjoyable um, The highlight for me If I'm going to be p- very, very selfish um, The highlight was the trip to Bayern Munich In, in oh, 708 um, And just I'm sorry, this is very selfish But ha- having dinner with the Beckenbauer And um, and others Hrubes and, and uh, others on, on the night before the game Was, was pretty special And uh, I, I remember that really really well the result was obviously not not great and and perhaps not unexpected but uh, but the trip to Munich was for me was uh, my favourite trip of all and and that stands out quite a lot
1: yeah it's a little bit name-droppy but we'll let you off Um... (laughs) sorry did I
2: mention you in sorry
1: (laughs) Uh, Jimmy Calderwood, obviously the European run that year Uh, yeah You, you had managers, some very strong personalities during that time. You had Ebby, obviously, you had Mark McGee. But Jimmy, above and beyond, I suspect there would have been a few clashes uh, between him and um, some of the board members. Although, I guess, he did have Willie acting as his uh, emissary in the boardroom. Um, I'm sure he wasn't shy of telling you what he thought, though.
2: No, no, Jimmy was from from the old school and um, was not shy about telling you what he thought. Um, he actually, uh, just like Derek, he had a very good relationship with Stuart. Though, um, I mean, Stuart was good with managers. He was, he was, he was patient. He was loyal. He was. He would support them financially when they, they particularly, asked for it. Um, and and Jimmy was Jimmy was no different than that. So yeah, no, know Jimmy. Jimmy, um, I people have asked me. I've, I have been asked many times what, why why was he sacked after we, getting us into Europe again. I mean, I think. My personal view is, and I should say this is personal rather than the club's view, but my personal view is, I think he, he he really had lost interest in in youth development at the club. He was trying to win first team games of football every week and making decisions based on that rather than on the the long term future of the club. But that all said, Jimmy was he was fun to be around. Um, board meetings were always fun when he was there. Um, Jimmy Nichol was usually there too. Um, and some of the nights out we had with them Were, were well, well they were spectacular
1: And probably unrepeatable
2: If you don't mind, I'll give you one anecdote Because it's, and there is a sweary word in here And I, and I won't say it, but um, As you would expect from Jimmy w- One of the benefits we had from being sp- Major shareholders and sponsors was We got a dinner each year in the boardroom At Cotaudry with the, t- the managers of the time And we were allowed to invite guests So this one was with Jimmy, the two Jimmys And um, we invited Some guests for Aberdeen Asset, and they were big clients, you know, chairman of client funds, chairman of companies we'd invested in. So some pretty, you know, big-hitting business people. But they all had an interest in football, and they all had an interest in Aberdeen. But I was a little bit concerned, because I know how Jimmy can be on a on a night out like that, and after a few beers, and, and his, his language tends to get worse and worse, and I was a little bit nervous about it all. But we set up this up, this dinner at the boardroom, and it all went, went very well. And we had one particular guest who was... Um, chairman of many things in Scotland, I won't name him, he's he's sadly no longer with us, but he he was chairman of many big organisations and institutions in Scotland. And um, we said to them all, if you feel like asking the Jimmy's a question, at the end of his dinner, let's have a spell where we're we're asking questions. So this guy, um, in quite a posh accent, said to Jimmy, "Uh, um, look, um, I go to all the games, Um, I'm at left back, we have a young player called Scott Morrison, and I really like him. I think he's a really nice footballer, tidy footballer. Um, and yet, you signed this guy Richie Byrne from Dunfermline, and you play him at left back every week. And I'd just like to know why do you play Richie Byrne ahead of Scott Morrison? And without even batting an eyelid, Calderwood said, "Because Richie Byrne's a big effing C and Scott Morrison's a little effing C." And I just about wet myself. Oh. <laughs> And, he, and obviously Jimmy used the full language Rather than short like I did there So um, it, was, it was a moment But fortunately the guy took it in reasonably good, reasonably good part
1: Ah uh, Jimmy it's, um, it, it's a real shame Obviously what, um, what's Happened to Jimmy and I, I think mostly Because obviously The way it ended at Petology wasn't particularly pleasant It really is for football managers um, But it would have been It and I fear it might already be too late, but it would have been great to have Jimmy back at Betaldray to to take the applause of full house again. Because um you know, looking back in the fullness of time he did a he did a good job overall at the club, undeniably. So to Thursday night then, and Iceland yet again for the Dons. Brederblick. Now, if you want a full in-depth insight into into Black then I'm going to point you in a direction of the. Debrief podcast that we released earlier this week With Mark Bull Who's an expert in all things Icelandic football Uh, Really worthwhile Really knowledgeable Mark Um, So that's where to go Give it a listen It's only 20-25 minutes Won't take up too much of your time But you'll be well rewarded with a great deal of insight Into Bredeblik As far as we're concerned So Cameron Really, this is a huge opportunity to make QR4 that you really can't pass up.
3: Oh, I, I want to whisper that. I don't want to say it out loud, to be perfectly honest, because that's when trouble happens. Um, do you know what's interesting? As we speak, uh, Bredeblik are playing tonight. Uh, they, were, they were in fourth, I think, coming into this. They're playing second, Vikinger, Reykjavik. They're currently 4-0 up, Bredeblik, in the 63rd minute. So they're, they're coming into this hot. But they're coming into it like this is Monday night. I'm sorry to totally ruin any illusion that we're doing this at any other time. But um, this is Monday night, and they're playing on Thursday, which is quite surprising to see a smaller window for them between matches than we've had. And hopefully that extra day's rest will be an important one. Um, I'm also going to call out as well young striker who scored a couple of goals in the first half, Jason Daddy Svan Thorsen. He's got Daddy. D-A-D-I. That's a name that resonates with the Aberdeen fans. Get him signed right now. I've never even seen him play. Um, but yeah, do you know what? They're coming into this on, on a bit of form. They're going to move up to second in the league. They're, they're not mugs. Do you know what? It's, they've, they've had a couple of really good results so far in the conference. Obviously, beating Vienna in the last round is a really good result. Um, a couple of years ago, they beat Sturm Grads as well. So they've got experience. They came up against Motherwell, I think, in 2013. Motherwell beat them 1-0 home and away. So they've come up against Scottish opposition. I don't think this will be a particularly easy game, but it should be a game that, based on the performances we've seen at home, if we can retain and control the ball and our strikers can find a nose for goal, you'd like to think that we could win and progress, for sure.
1: Martin, Martin, I I know all that stuff. I know that they they must be half decent. They beat Austria-Vienna. They've played in Europe quite, you know... Quite frequently, I know all that stuff, but we still, we still should be winning this.
4: We, we should be. Um, this is this is the, the you're, you're experiencing the same thing I am, Richard. This this is the nerves of no, the se- seventh year we've been doing this podcast, and we've never reached the group stages. Um, and we start, so we're starting to panic, and so that then brings pressure. That brings not not just talking about bringing pressure to the the players, that brings pressure to us, um, and we're. We're 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 feeling
1: it. We haven't been in a situation really where we've been outright favourites at this round, and I know that it's not the same competition. But really, the teams we're facing, the level challenge we're facing, is pretty much identical. We haven't been in this position. There was one time we played Kaiva Almaty, who were unseeded because we'd taken uh, Raika's seeding, but they were spending an absolute fortune on players, so it didn't feel like we got the real benefit. Of that victory over Eureka, this year, again, we have to respect them because they've knocked out the seed. But this feels like the chance.
4: Well, unquestionably, it really does. Yeah, this is a this is an opportunity that you know it doesn't it, it doesn't come along it doesn't come along very often, um, and so you, know, you look at that, especially you know them. You know, they're they're clearly you know they're yeah they're clearly a decent side. Weight. Like you say, we all know that, but. This is a great, great opportunity to get, no, get a step closer, um, to the group, the group stage football. And this, this is what we want. This is what we need. You know, I mean, um, we can also touch on the, no, the draw, the draw, if we can get past this, no, there's a draw for the next round, which, um, not going not gonna look past, um, Braderbeck at all, but it was very interesting, um, looking on when the club announced the, 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 the draw today, um, that on the, on the club's Instagram post, um, the carabag fans have got them winning their tie and smashing us and going on through it at the group stages um it was just nothing but the replies were nothing but carabag fans um so you know you talk about you know we have to be careful and careful about not looking ahead of this mob um their fans have got them you know in the group stages and they're you know, comfortable um which you know is you know, would' be nice to' would be nice to maybe see them maybe you know fall off their high horse that'd be quite nice to see but no, we can't. We can't afford to look ahead. No, you 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 need to take this game and take this tie. Sorry, um, no, incredibly seriously. This they're, they're not mugs. Um They're going to like you the say. Um, they're going to give us a good game, and we just we need to. We need to be professional about professional about it. Um, just because you're going to these get this game as a, as favourites, which I think we are, um, doesn't doesn't mean anything. You know, they've got a good result against a good team in Austria Vienna, um, and. You know, I think if we we looked at it and we probably thought Austria Vienna would come through and then they'd be a really tough game for us um so they've beaten them um it was a good result for them um you know potentially you know potentially that's their that's their them them peaked I'd like to hope so really really desperately hope so um and we can you no, know, we could know if we do, if we do everything right you know, from the little bits I've seen them and I've only seen you know, clips and very short clips and highlights. Um, of, the, of the the two legs And then some stuff on YouTube with them, So I've not seen a hell of a lot But if we do everything right um, And you know, apply ourselves the way we have been At the really good moments so far this season um, I think we could be confident
1: OK, is there another reason to be confident here The fact the game has been moved From Brederwick's usual home stadium Which would be a plastic pitch To be played at the National Stadium uh, Which is a grass surface <laughs> speaking, to, speaking to Mark earlier in the week He said that the, if we play a game at a good tempo and a fast, a really high intensity, that's the sort of thing which is likely to to get at Brederbeck and, in fact, most Icelandic opposition, simply because they're part time, simply because they're not used to that level. So, so that's obviously got to be the key.
2: Yeah, I was um, noting that Martin's saying that he hoped they peaked last week. I mean, it sounds like they're peaking again tonight. Um, so they've clearly got form. I mean, but I just think. Um, Aberdeen team on some kind of form ought to be beating the fourth best team in Iceland. So yeah, I, I'm i reasonably confident. I think, you know, I think Stephen and Scott will have them pretty fired up again, and uh, um, let's just try and get some sort of result over there to take back and um, uh, do them do them at Petardry. So yeah, no, I'm 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 pretty confident. I think I think um, it's not again. It's not going to be easy. Uh, they will be. They will fancy it again, probably, because they're probably a bit fitter than us, a bit more match fit than us. but you know, I, I I just think the quality ought to ought to out at the end of the day, so if we can apply ourselves properly on Thursday night, I'd like to think we'll bring a decent result back for for a week on Thursday
1: if everyone's fit, Cameron, what changes are you making are, are you bringing hedges back in for audio from Saturday's team, or are you going to be a or, or would you be a little bit more circumspect away from home?
3: a really interesting one. I think if Hedges is fit, you probably do look to reintroduce him. Uh, And you you really go at the team as well. You don't want to sit in too deep uh, at home. Uh, Ojo's, you know, he he did alright against United. I wasn't totally sure that I I or he knew exactly where he was playing positionally. But... um, I think that Hedges has got too much quality up front. Uh, and as I touched on earlier on, I think this team's going to rely on goals from across the the park and I think Ryan Hedges is substantially better in front of goal than Ojo based on what we've seen so far. Uh, Martin may disagree living back to that hacking miss, you know. I, I know it was a matter of inches Martin and I'm sure on any other day we would have slotted that into the back of the net but um yeah I think Hedges would come in That's probably the only change you'd really look to make uh, If it was available to you The only other one I would maybe consider doing Is giving Gallagher a start Just because I would like to see him introduced Sooner rather than later Although that's going to be a harsh one Because you'd probably have to drop McCrory um, And I think that he's actually played really well I just I i don't see us dropping Considine at the moment um,
2: I have to say I've not jumped on the Ojo bandwagon yet I think he's got a lot of making up to do um, before I'm going to, I'm going to jump on his bandwagon. I think um, I think he was okay at Ptolemy in, in, the, in the first game, and um, I thought he was not quite okay yesterday. Um, I, I, I'm not quite sure what his role is. I, I, I think as Cameron said, you know, is he is he really wanting to play Ojo on the on the left hand side this season? I'm not sure that's a great idea. Um, so I, I, for for me, I, I, as I say, I'm just not I'm just not quite there yet with him. Um, I would certainly want to see Hedges start if possible.
1: Yeah, I'm absolutely with you on that. I think when we've spoken about adding to the pool in terms of another striker, another defender, maybe the expectation is that we don't improve the quality of the first team by adding a bit more competition. But I think there could be someone comes in in midfield, and I'm thinking about somebody who might currently be at St. Mirren who would fit in that role that OG has played on this sort of Wide midfield role uh, And offer a more consistent goal threat But we'll wait and see I mean obviously Qualifying past Hecken Was worth a couple of, maybe a couple of hundred thousand Less costs to the club Qualifying past Brederick will do the same And uh, it becomes a virtuous circle
2: I'd be surprised if, and, I, and I don't know this okay? So I'm not, I'm not giving any inside information here But I'd be surprised if, uh, if Our new director of recruitment Wasn't trying to find Ojo uh, A deal somewhere else He's at the very high end of our pay scale. In fact, he's the highest uh, end of our pay scale, um, and I think that uh, you know right. he's just not done enough so far to warrant that. And I, I would have thought uh, Dave, and Steve might, might about, sorry, Dave and Steve might be thinking about might um, uh, be thinking about trying to find another home for him. Um, he apparently did very well at Wigan. Perhaps um, perhaps some, some scouts down there saw him when he was playing at Wigan, and would we'll, fancy him for a, a Division One club down there or something like that. But I, I'm still not convinced about
1: him. Just briefly as well, uh, Cameron, obviously there's some chat that, that was interest in Ryan Hedges. Hedges is out of contract at the end of the year. It would be completely naive of any Aberdeen fan, and I think that Aberdeen haven't been trying to extend that contract, because I'm sure they have, and I'm sure that right now he is holding off in the hope of getting something better. What would you do if, if reasonable money, I don't know what that would be at this position, maybe three quarters of a million or something, was to come in for him?
3: Ugh, it's a tough one because we've seen this before, where you let a player go and actually you really miss him over the season. We touched on earlier on that you know we've all got slightly heightened expectations this season, be it because it's a fresh start be it because some of the other competition in the league that's usually above us is perhaps not as dangerous as it normally would be. Um, I think that if the offer was stupid money, because you know teams down south have a tendency to chuck it around, you you would have to accept it. I think that if it was enough money to go and get someone, say, from St. Marin, then actually you could offset that because you're replacing a, a, a player for a player and maybe getting a little bit cash out the back of that. So I think as long as you've got something lined up, then great. It felt like the last couple of windows we've had, we've seen players leave and we haven't necessarily had the replacements lined up. Um, Other replacements that we had lined up Weren't really particularly great Therefore, you know, you don't want to get into that cycle Um, We've got change because it's a new manager Fine, he's been in before the summer But still, new manager, new style of play The more consistency we can keep around that team I think that's going to be an important factor For this squad moving forward Uh, Too much change means you're starting again So, yeah That's a long way of saying Stupid money, take it anything less, let's ride out with Hedges. I'd rather keep him, play really well and let him move on at the end of the season if he has to. But let's try and win him over. Let's try and keep him, right? It's not gone Um, yet.
1: Okay, that was very passionate, Cameron. Thank you. (laughs) Martin, the new uh, head of recruitment, Dan Moby, is somebody we haven't actually mentioned uh, to this point yet. and There's been a lot going on in the opening weeks of the season. Um, You kind of feel with his background, with his contact book, it is likely that... uh, There'll be some business maybe from down south at the end of the window, whether that be on loan or whether that be um, from the sort of clubs that uh, he would have had more routine dealings with before. It's uh, It was an important step and one that maybe hindered this summer's recruitment a little bit.
4: It's going to be interesting to see what happens there. I mean, I, I would imagine there will be some bodies coming in. Um wouldn't surprise me if we see you know, some going out as well. Uh, no, if it was not Ojo, I think, though, in terms of we seem to have a lot of central midfielders um, so you no, know, it wouldn't surprise me to see someone like Ojo go out. Um, maybe someone like you know, Dean Campbell go out and get themselves some first-team football somewhere on loan. Um, that wouldn't really shock me either. Um, but yeah, so looking at, looking at into bringing perhaps a couple of loans. So just to, just again, like, like we spoke about last week, and like you mentioned earlier, just to kind of round out the squad, um, guys who perhaps aren't going to be starters. Um, you know, you look at so we've got like we've got Teddy Jakes. Who I I don't think is going to be a a starting eleven player, no regularly. I don't think he's he's not going to start. He's probably not going to start twenty or thirty games for Aberdeen, but he's there around at the squad and he'd be called on called on when needed. Um, I think that's something that you know we'll be looking at trying to bring in players from clubs down south that can perhaps strengthen us. uh, Maybe get in. Maybe he can. Maybe he can. there's an unearthed gem down there. There's someone we can bring in that you know, can bring something to the squad as well. Because you know, we've said you know, light light centre half, maybe even looking for a backup backup up front as well. Um, this guy's got a big this guy's got a big contact book. He's got a lot of experience. He knows what he's doing. Um, and you no, know, that's not that's not a slight or a, an attack on the, the guys who were previously there, um, but just you know, this is like a, a fresh start um, in terms of the recruitment, and hopefully um, we can
1: get the best. Yeah, the guy that was previously there has been hired by Liverpool, by the way, um, which is one for all those who were telling us that he was absolutely shit at his job. Um, just very briefly to give the Livingston League game all the build-up it actually deserves for that stadium. Hugh, um, we come back from Iceland to, to the plastic monstrosity in West Lothian. There's been noticeably little rotation thus far. If we are going to go as far in this competition, the Europa Conference League, as we want to, there's going to have to be some, isn't there? And does that start Sunday, do you reckon?
2: Yeah, it possibly could. I mean, we've seen this before, um, and we're fortunate enough to see it every year for the last seven years. Um, Thursday night, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday. Um, and uh, sometimes it goes okay, and sometimes sometimes it doesn't. I, I, but I think, I think you're right. I think, I think one or two changes on... Uh, on Sunday are, are likely. I, I slightly disagree with Martin on Jenks. I think, I think we got Jenks um, with some competition, um, and I can't believe that we haven't promised Brighton he's going to get some meaningful game time. Um, so I, I, I hope I'm right um, that, is, that he's that he's a decent prospect and um, he can do something, add some value for us. Um, so I, I think he might I think he might start more often than say. Dean Campbell will this year um, And uh, it'll be interesting to see what he's like But yeah, I, I would imagine I could, see, I could see three or four changes for Sunday
1: Because ultimately Cameron Well, here's the deal Here's the devil's deal We, 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 drop, we drop points at Livingston but, but we make it through the group stages You know, we, we throw in a couple of preventable defeats in the league Would you take that to make the group stages?
3: Christ man, you keep putting me on the spot with these bloody questions um, Both, I want both And I'll have it no other way I, I also just want to go back I think uh, the plastic monstrosity is actually what they're going to rebrand when they make their next move um, You know, from Ferranti to Meadowbank to Livingston To the, the plastic monstrosity is just about right for that franchise team um, uh, What would be more important? Getting through the qualifiers more important Right now at this point in the season Away to Livingston It's a stuffy place to go It's a hard place to play Other teams will drop points there uh, if, you, if, if you have to give me one And as long as it's at least a draw at Livingston I'll take qualification To the next round of the Euros And I will take a point at Livingston
1: Okay, more impossible hypothetical questions Coming next week uh, We'll get Cameron back Just for that special segment Um so a bumper episode um, of Don's Chat this week. If we're not careful, we'll be ending up with shows in around the two, three hour mark. But who wants to listen to that? Anyway, thank you very much to Hugh Little. Hugh, thanks.
2: My pleasure. Hope you enjoyed it, guys. I <laughs> it really did. It was great. I'm enjoying, I'm, in, I'm enjoying all your work. I it's good.
1: Yeah, we edit out any praise like that, Hugh. Don't worry. Uh, to Cameron Hobbs, uh, once again. Thank you so much, Cameron.
3: I think you suck so that's what you're getting <laughs> That's, from better, me. that's <laughs> better Always a pleasure guys, love coming on, thank you for having
1: me. That's better, we won't say what we really feel about the NFL Scotland podcast <laughs> we? and um, Martin Clunas was with us Cheers Richard Cheers Martin, uh, cheers everybody for listening Go back and listen to the Beck preview pod if you haven't already Come on you it.